Welcome back to Talk Green to Me, a podcast about materials and sustainability. I'm Manali, and with me is Nasreen. This is a follow-up to our discussion on alternative proteins, and we have an interview with Stephanie Downs, an entrepreneur and a co-founder of various companies and organizations in the plant-based meats and materials industry, including Good Dot, Material Innovation Initiative, and Uncaged Innovations. So today we have Stephanie Downs from Material Innovation Initiative. Um, Hi, Stephanie. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Hi, Manali. Nice to be here. Um, So we'll get started with a little bit of background about yourself. Uh, Stephanie, can you tell us um, how you got into this field? Sure, yeah. For me, actually, the the kind of gateway was actually volunteering at an animal shelter uh, back in 1999-2000 and just kind of was the very initial introduction to what was you know animal welfare and what was going on in that space and then eventually went vegetarian then went vegan and just kind of uh, was involved in the spay neuter charity Uh, but then really i got heavily involved in the space um, when i started doing some corporate social responsibility work kind of bridging the gap between animal welfare organizations and the industry so i would work with different companies like Tesla and fashion brands like Ralph Lauren, Vera Wang, and others to just educate companies on the alternatives that are available to using animal materials and food. And, um, you know, just saw a big opportunity that if you can create great alternatives, that companies and customers will um, navigate, you know, will, will migrate over to, to these new solutions. Yeah, definitely. I know that I, as a consumer, would also want to switch to alternatives when they're available. Can you provide some examples of what these solutions are? When we talk about vegan materials, there's really six categories, and that's leather, wool, fur, silk, down, and exotic skins. Those are the six primary ways that animals are used as materials in the industries such as fashion, automotive, home goods. Um, you know, there's other rare things out there that you can find, but those are those are the main main ways that animals are used. So I guess real quick, like what was your maybe academic or work background that you then decided to bridge this passion you have for animals and what you were doing? Yeah, my background was all in business, but my degree was in marketing, and then I worked in the software industry for a while in sales and marketing and customer support for both small um, startups and then also IBM. And then in 1999, I actually started my first company, which was an internet marketing company. But I really felt that what was missing was this opportunity to give back. And that's when I started looking for ways to use my business experience to make a difference bridging the gap with animal welfare groups and, and companies. Yeah, so my background is almost all in entrepreneurship. I've been an entrepreneur for over 22 years now, and I've founded a handful of companies, a couple of charities. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of enjoy the startup life. My, my first major introduction was in about 2016. I started a plant-based meat company in India um, that uh, quickly became the largest plant-based meat company in India called Good Dot. And then um, a couple of years ago, I helped co-found the Material Innovation, which is an, uh, kind of an industry ecosystem builder to get more innovation coming into companies making alternative materials to animals. That's really awesome. Yeah, that, that's great. Going into the sustainability area is definitely something that we're very excited about. 
So can you tell us a little bit more about what Material Innovation Initiative is and how it got started? Sure. Um, the Material Innovation Initiative, the idea for it was really prompted from the experience that myself and the, the lady I co-founded the organization with, Nicole Rawling, um, had experienced in the food space. So her and I, as I just mentioned, you know, I did the plant-based meat company in India, and she was also simultaneously had joined a group called the Good Food Institute, uh, which is a nonprofit organization in the food space that was founded in, I believe, 2015 with the sole mission of uh, to bring together the ecosystem of companies and research institutes and um, you know, startup founders and, you know, and, and investors all into a system to kind of help catapult vegan food alternatives for, you know, the animal alternatives forward in the food space. And so Nicole and I had met while I was doing the plant-based meat company and she was running all the international programs for the Good Food Institute, decided to team up and, and do this project because we've seen such amazing work on that side. Um, just this concept of having an organization that is really just very laser focused on essentially getting more companies in the space. And that means, you know, everything from startups to getting more R&D done that could then be commercialized. Was it hard to get started um, with a plant-based meat company at the time? Like what was sort of the market for it or were people actively looking for this alternative? Sure, sure. Well, it's definitely hard to get started. Anything, any startup is hard to do. Right? It's always, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for, as I mentioned, over two decades now, and I've had hundreds and hundreds of people come to me and say, you know, if I'm looking to start a company, I'd like to pick your brain. And, and people, you know, take the hardest thing that you've ever done, times it by about a hundred, and that's what it's like to start a company. <laughs> so starting a company in a developing country on the other side of the world was challenging. You know, I did bring on, you know, connected with local partners, which helps a lot because it's very difficult to do something in a foreign country on, on your own as a foreigner. But, you know, it was well-timed with the Good Food Institute starting up because they were available to be a sounding board. I mean, prior to that, I mean, I knew I had been eating a lot of those types of like plant-based meats and vegan cheese and, you know, almond milks prior to that, but I had never thought of it as a business opportunity. And they were really there to provide a lot of guidance, connect me to, you know, people who knew the industry, connect us to investors. So it was, you know, I really saw firsthand the value of having an organization like that. Is there a reason you specifically chose India or a developing market? Um, as far as the market opportunity, I, you know, I wanted to do India because I really felt there was an opportunity there to make a big difference. And actually 70% of the market is are, are meat eaters or non-veg as they call it. And now they don't individually consume as much meat as say we do here in America or in Europe. Um, and unfortunately it's becoming um, more and more popular to eat meat. It's seen as a status symbol. And so the meat consumption is rapidly growing, which was not only going to have be very devastating for the animals, but also massively destructive as far as waterways, land usage, and just the natural resources that have to go into such a, you know, such a massive um, increase in, in something and in consumption. So it was just, you know, I saw it as an opportunity to get a product into the marketplace um, to do, you know, the, what part we could to try and slow that growth. They just seemed like the right opportunity. So how did you kind of shift from that to just overall plant-based materials? 
you know, because prior to doing the, the um, food, the food business, I had actually been spent about, let's see, about seven or eight years before that, um, starting in about 2007, I had started doing the corporate social responsibility um, kind of negotiations between animal welfare groups and reaching out to brands and, and companies worldwide, kind of educating them on, on the alternatives. So I'd seen through that work, like I'd worked on vegan wool projects, looking for alternatives out there that could replace wool and, you know, out there looking for alternatives for Tesla for their vegan interior. So I kind of already had a pretty good understanding of what vegan materials were out there. So I guess if I had to say, Manali, one, you know, the thing that kind of sparked the idea is, you know, when I was going to be selling my ownership in Good Dot and, and, and looking for a new opportunity, I knew that the fashion brands were really looking for more materials and, and the automotive in general, just the industry was looking for better materials, but there was really a void in innovations that were able to feel, fill that demand. What do you think is the innovation that's needed? There'd been a big shift, certainly in the last four or five years, that there's been a massive shift away from plastic, um, you know, fossil fuel-based polymers, which is what most vegan alternatives currently are. So that's, you know, the, the, those options were available, but the industry is really turning against that. So they're just opened up a really big gap of a need for more innovation. So can you tell us a little bit about how MII brings companies together? MII is a nonprofit organization, so primarily funded via donors and, and grant organizations um, that we partner with. So it's a, there's a couple different business models as far as how we do our work, but what we what we try to do is for the startups, um, such as the you know the companies in the space like Pina Techs or Bolt Threads or others, you know we try as much as possible to be innovators to provide our services for free, um, to to an extent. <laughs> that is, so we are a small team. We're still in startup mode ourselves, uh, but you know to be there to provide free resources. We're also you know putting together reports, like for example, one one report we published was about the testing parameters and information for leather alternatives. So that, that kind of information can be make a, make a huge difference to an entrepreneur that's looking at the space. We also just recently launched a report that was about the state of the industry um, of all the different materials and who are the, and we published in there like a large list of investors that are investing in the space and where the white spaces are, where we need more innovation. So we put out a lot of free information. We're available to, to support you know, some of the startups on coaching where we can and making connections. And, and then with, you know, same with investors and, and the brands, more of a sponsorship model, and then we can help make connections and, and things. Yeah, I feel like if I was to try and come up with a startup, I would definitely want an organization like this to be able to find people to actually sell my stuff to, so that, or, you know, make the connections and, and see what people are looking for. Sounds very useful. Thank you. Thank you. So you mentioned that a lot of the vegan alternatives were plastic, fossil fuel based. In trying to reduce that in recent years and in the future, what areas of materials or research are being looked at now to create vegan materials, but also reduce the usage of plastic? 
kind of varies across the different materials, but I think if you, you broke it into the core, you know, kind of broke down the core categories, you're really looking at plant-based and then more like fermentation or uh, mycelium-based where you're, you're kind of like working on bacterial or fungal solutions. And then you also have your, you know, more um, like what we call lab-grown materials um, situation where they might be using actual animal materials, but they're being like they're creating animal fibers, um, but growing them in a lab. You know, if you have to make a yarn that's going to be used in a, a faux fur, that's different than doing a, you know, some type of a leather uh, alternatives. So which of the three categories is taking off the most? Plant-based leather is a category where we're seeing the most innovation. And so there we're seeing people that are using, for example, byproducts of the wine industry. Um, Bagea is one that they're using, you know, like the grape peels and the stems. And Pinotex is probably the most well-known as far as they were one of the first in the, in the industry that are using pineapple leaves, which are a waste stream from the pineapple um, juice industry. So there's lots of, lots of really cool stuff going on. And then on the fermentation and, and more my, my Celium bacterial site side, you've got um, companies like Bolt Threads, Microworks, um, Ecovative, where they're um, you know growing mycelium or you know and the, actually creating it in sheets and able to dye it. And then the third category is more the college and like people who are doing like this would fall into the category more of like vitro labs or modern meadow where they're actually growing skin in a lab is is on the um, leather side. And so kind of seeing a, a lot of innovation. When I think about plant-based products, I know like a lot of people are concerned that you're turning, needing more space and resources to grow more stuff to make these materials and what the impact is on that. But I think it's really fascinating and really cool to hear that it is a lot of the byproducts and the waste that was going to go to landfill anyway. Or You know, one of the thing, things too, though, that a lot of people don't always take into consideration is that, I mean, for example, if we look at grains, I think it's something like 80% of corn, it gets fed to cows to turn that cow into meat or leather. <laughs> so there's so there's also so many different crop streams that ultimately are fed to an animal, which is not, a, not an efficient machine. It takes years and years to grow an animal and to produce the hide or to produce the animal. So sometimes, you know, I have mixed feelings about that as far as if we can just convert some of these grains into these materials, um, whether it's food or, or material, um, and, and skip that. But so, so I think it's interesting the way sometimes that gets spun, I guess is the point I'm trying to make. I understand from the animal welfare perspective, obviously we don't want to harm animals, but in terms of like this hyper-focus on plant, plant-based meats and plant-based materials in general, do you think that's kind of there like a reason that we are starting to focus so much more on these things now? Yeah, I think that it's really kind of a, a perfect um you know, a perfect storm, so to speak, in that you've got the animal welfare pressure that's been coming in, and then now you add to that sustainability, then you add in things, if we're looking at the food side, you add in things like food um, shortages. And, you know, so there's, I think there's various different movements that have all kind of come together simultaneously. Also in general, younger generations like, like the Gen Z are more interested in supporting, you know, companies that are 
socially conscious. So I think there's a variety of different movements that have kind of culminated to kind of you know really push these things forward. And then also in, in to some extent the technology is finally there. Like in particular a lot of like the lab grown meats or some of the lab grown leathers where various technology innovations have really turned a corner um, where now these innovations can scale. So I, I don't think it's one particular thing, Manella. I think there's probably like five or six different things that have kind of culminated at the right time to enable us to hit that tipping point. That definitely makes sense. Um, in terms of the technologies that you're talking about, could you maybe give us some examples of technologies that have happened that have made this more possible? The, probably the biggest one that comes to mind, this is more on the food side. Originally, it was called lab-grown meats. I, um, right now, the term is cultivated cultivated meats that are, that are being grown. I mean, that's something that has been kind of an idea for like 10 or 15 years by some, you know, some original universities and such. But the, the different culture mediums, for example, um, a lot of cultivated meat originally had a, a real barrier in that they had to use a growth medium that was fetal bovine serum, which comes from death of baby cows, essentially. Like, um, and that was something that you know you can't make a you can't make a vegan or a, you know a lab-grown meat that is is has that as one of the growth meats. You know, so there's a lot of challenges there. Also, just the scaling. A lot of people have descended on that issue, and a lot of the bioreactors and different things are just much farther along than they used to be. And so, like now, you know, cultivated meat is actually being served in a, a couple restaurants in Singapore. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I can see how um, animal welfare people wouldn't be super psyched <laughs> about using fetal bovine serum either. You know, so people have figured out how to use, how they've developed other growth mediums. And, and that's the other thing is like when you start planting a lot of seeds, which is where an organization like Material Innovation Initiative and, you know, the Good Food Institute, they're out there planting thousands of seeds. And, you, you know, you just never know what, re, what, what right researcher or what right research institute that had to be, you know, happened to be working on some random new research. You know, you plant enough seeds, um, you can, you can, you know, kind of spark ideas that and bring all those people together and, it, you know, things, things will kind of move along at a, a much more rapid pace. In terms of kind of the benefits of these uh, like plant-based alternatives, would you have any like facts from a material science standpoint, from a nutritional standpoint, um, even from like climate change, uh, what kind of things that these materials are going to be able to offset or are already offsetting? I'm trying to think. It's something like it's 10,000 liters of water it takes to create one steak. You know, all the land, I'm sorry, all the water that has to go into raising the crops that are going to then be fed to the cow. And then, of course, the cow, you know, consumes water. And then you have to use water to, to clean something. You know, there's stats like that that are out there. I mean, there's just you know, no doubt that these products are more environmentally um, friendly than, than, than the animal alternatives. Um, and then, you know, on the materials side, you know, we're looking a lot at, at using waste streams so that, you know, that's significantly better. Another stat that I always found that was very interesting is that you have to feed a chicken nine calories of grain to make one calorie of chicken. People have done tremendous research on this. I mean, the fact of the matter is that animals are not efficient food or material making machines. It's, if we had to consider them a piece of equipment, they're very, very outdated. Um, and there's just now you know, much better ways to do this. And then of course, avoid all the cruelty as you had mentioned. I never really thought about animals as like as a machine, but when you put it that way, it's just like, oh yeah, they just require so much. 
You'd also asked about some of the nutritional. I mean, that varies very much on, on the product standpoint. You know, you've got, for example, the first product that we brought to market in India was a vegan mutton. And uh, mutton in India is goat meat, uh, kind of varies. Some, some regions, mutton is sheep, but in India, it's primarily goat. And, uh, you know, we were able to bring a product to market that was half the calories and twice the protein. Of, um, of of animal meat and 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 meet the meet the price point. So it kind of depends on the species and such. And then of course you've got people who are making meat alternatives out of things like jackfruit, which has a very good you know texture and that's a great product because jackfruit is often a waste a waste product in in many regions. Um, but it doesn't have the protein in it. It's higher in carbs. So it just kind of depends on the product, um, but in general, they also don't have the antibot, you know, the antibiotics, the steroids, all the other things that that get fed into animals that ultimately ends up in the human body. So, what are some of the the main challenges in this field, both meat or uh, materials wise? On the food side, I would say, I mean, there's definitely there's definitely consumer demand out there, and it's quite honestly kind of shocking at, at the demand that we're at. And we, we've made major strides on the, the vegan milk side. I think that that might, vegan milks might make up right now like 15% of the overall dairy aisle. Those have been adopted fairly quickly. Um, I think on the meat side, we're maybe like 1% of overall global meat consumption. When I started in this space in 2000. 15, and we were at 0.25, so at a quarter of a percent. So we've we've seen a lot of growth, but there's still a long way to go there. And a lot of that's just cultural and getting the price points down. Um, so that's you know that I would say that's the one of the cha- the biggest challenge that is being faced on the material side. I think innovation is one of the biggest challenges. The other challenge is, um, and I think this is something we're going to have to start to discusses an industry, which Material Innovation Initiative, you know, hopes to, to play a role in this, is kind of working with brands and, and the industry in general and innovators and rethinking some of the test, like the parameters that these materials are tested against. Because whether it's an, you know, like for example, a lot of the companies in this space are having to put PU, like some type of a, a poly, like a fossil fuel based polyurethane in their materials, which then causes end of life issues. But one of the challenges that's faced by innovators is when the consumers are using these products, the brands want them to be completely indestructible, right? Like, you know, they need to be waterproof, scratch resistant, tear, you know, they need to be able to be bend and flexed, you know, 40,000 times and different things. But then also simultaneously, that material needs to know when it's time to magically break down in a landfill. And, you know, so there's some, some things like that where I think that uh, we need to discuss, like, for example, do we need to put expiration dates on these products? Like you buy you buy something at, at Gap or H&M and it has an expiration date on it on your handbag that says in two years from now, this is going to start to break down. Um, will that help? Or And of course, we want to do consumer education on, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle. Um, but, you know, sometimes changing consumer habits is very, very, very difficult. Um, so, you know, maybe we, if we can figure out ways to make these materials so that they have some of that freedom to um, start to break down sooner and um, then maybe we can, you know what I mean? I think we can get some of these innovations adopted faster. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, in terms of kind of what you're saying, it would also like go in line with kind of the fast fashion industry where you know, your stuff breaks down in two years, you just get 
get something new and what they're doing least, anyhow right so right exactly <laughs> <laughs> but at least this stuff that this stuff is going to actually decompose as opposed to just sitting in a landfill forever is and, and the other thing i would say in the material space is we need more innovation you know we need when, when I started in the food space in 2015, you know, we, I don't know, there were, you know, there were all the brands out there like the Tofurkeys and the Gardeens that had been around for decades and there were some new innovators in the space. And now there's just hundreds and hundreds of innovators um, across the globe. And we, we need to see that same growth in the materials space. And, you know, that's, hope, of course, something we're hoping to do with the Material Innovation Initiative as we get out there and plant more seeds, but certainly looking for, for more people to come into the space. Anything that you want our general audience to know about these materials or how our listeners can even get involved, maybe start switching to plant-based meats, but also kind of things that they can be thinking of more in this area? Yeah, I mean, I think in general, just, you know, taking some time to be aware of what's out there. I mean, certainly, like, I think a lot of people maybe 10 years ago, for example, might have tried a veggie burger or something and, you know, that, that, and I, so my, and might not have liked it or then I think my, my thought would be, you know, go, go a little bit out of your way to go see the solutions that are out there and, and try out different things because there's lots of really, I always, I mean, now is the best time ever to be a vegan. I mean, there's just so many great options. Um, so I would say, you know, try it more on the food space um, side and and just you know on, on both the material and the food side you know if there's something that you're you're interested in, in getting in touch with or getting involved in you know get in touch with the good food institute on the food side or material innovation initiative on the material side um, you know there's there's kind of a place for everybody and we're, we're working on building that ecosystem everything from investors to universities to startup founders um, so you know if it's something you're passionate about um, you know reach out to people and start to get into the network yeah, for sure. Are there any um, already in market uh, plant based materials that are out there that people can like opt to buy? Yes and no. I mean, most of it, you know, if they um, if they follow the Material Innovation Initiative and we're you know we're on Instagram and then materialinnovation.org. Um, if they go under resources, we have our innovator profiles. But you know, we're working more with with the material companies and that's that's something that's a bit of a difference in the material space tends to be more to a, of a b2b business to business model versus direct to consumer as far as there's somebody making the material they sell it to a brand whether it's a fashion brand or automotive or home good and then those people you know use that in their designs to to bring to market whereas in the food space it tends to be more direct to consumer where you know, somebody like a beyond meat or an impossible foods are making their material or excuse me making their product and selling it direct to the consumer or through a restaurant chain that they you know have a co-branding situation with so it, it you know consumers i would say you know if you want to see like new companies that are launching let's say a, a handbag or um, you know, Nike just launched some shoes. Um, Allbirds is coming out with some of them. If they follow the Material Innovation Initiative on Instagram or Facebook, um, we're always putting out new announcements of things that can be bought. Um, I guess from the brand side, so do brands then choose to let their consumers know that now they've used these sustainable animal-free products and that's sort of the driver for them as well? Yeah, they do. It kind of... They, they definitely do, and sometimes it's co-branded with an existing company, such as Bolt Threads has been really great at, at creating collaborations with companies like Stella McCartney and 
Lululemon and others. So that, you know, sometimes it's co-branded like that. Other, other times you'll just see a companies come out with a handbag they'll say is made with, you know, Apple peel leather. Um, and they, you know, they might just, um, you know, might just be more under their label. So it definitely, I mean, I, I'm obviously being in the industry, I get different types of alerts and notices every day. So there's constantly new announcements coming out. Um, but, you know, there's still a lot of, certainly a lot of growth there on the material side. On the food side, you know, oh my gosh, significantly easier. I mean, you can't go to even a Walmart grocery or Target or it's really kind of amazing at, at just mainstream grocery stores, um, certainly across the U.S. and also across Europe and Australia, um, you know, th how you can just find it anywhere. So food side, super easy. Um, material side, more, you know, kind of, pay, you know, have to kind of wait for the announcements and stuff. Great. Do you have a fun fact to end with? Oh gosh, fun fact. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll do my fun fact on the material side. I always find this to be an interesting fact, which is it takes approximately eight cow hides to make one car interior. And I don't think people ever realize, or sometimes it can take two exotic animals, two or more exotic animals to make one handbag. And um, I think people don't, don't necessarily think about that, but I think those are some, some interesting perspectives. Yeah, that's definitely yeah. something I did not know. I don't <laughs> leather interiors in my car, thankfully, but it's still pretty shocking. <laughs> yeah, I know. You wouldn't, you don't stop to think about it because there's so many flaws. I, I think it, it kind of, of course, depends on whether the hide is maybe used for things like watch bands and stuff. Of course, it can vary because um, sometimes scraps are able to be used in some ways, but about 30% of a hide, for example, often goes to waste because of the flaws and and things so yeah there's just is a it's a lot of a lot of interesting things that um you know just aren't, aren't something that people learn every day but i've always thought that one about the car interiors was really interesting yeah yeah definitely and you know we're, we're glad that the materials innovation initiative exists and also that you are doing such great work in this area and spread the good word Thank and that you, we thank could you. potentially have jobs all around related to this area as a material yeah. scientist so Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, the work you guys are doing and um, is, is crucial uh, for sure. And uh, I know you guys are, are both from Georgia Tech. There's great innovation going on there. And it's a, it's a all hands on deck. You know, we need business people. We need investors. We need material scientists. We, need, you know, we just kind of need to bring everybody together. And that's how we make things happen. And um, but thank you for so thank you for the work you guys are doing and in, in doing your podcast and helping to spread the word about um, what's going on out there. Yeah, and thank you so much for joining us. We really, we really enjoyed our discussion and, and learned a lot. We really appreciate Stephanie Downs joining us and hope everyone learned a lot about alternative proteins today. After this episode, we are taking a short hiatus from the podcast, but we'll be back with more information about materials and sustainability really soon. You can still find regular updates on our Twitter and Instagram accounts at TGTM Podcast. And as always, you can email any comments or questions to us at talkgreentomepodcast at gmail.com. This episode was edited and produced by Manali Banerjee and Nasreen Khan, and music is by Shang Young. <laughs>